First of all, I just want to start with a quick survey. Uh, can you put your hand up if you have ever heard a sermon on the book of Job in your life? Okay, so approximately 40% of the congregation have here. I can tell you that the 9 o'clock service, it was approximately 10% of the congregation. Or maybe 15%, actually. I want to get the percentages right, because um, I think it was four people. Um, some of them came to both services, so... Uh, someone can analyze the statistics, but either way, a lot of us, uh, no matter how long we've been in church, don't tend to hear sermons on the book of Job. Um, and uh, I think that's quite interesting. Um, we only get one week in the lectionary. Um, for those of you who don't know, the lectionary is um, a set of readings that the, the church um, worldwide puts together that the Anglican church uh, uses. So in many different churches you go to, you will hear uh, the same readings week by week. And we don't always follow the lectionary. And one of the reasons we don't always follow the lectionary at St. George's is because I think that it misses stuff out. And sometimes it's good to just uh, do something different and focus on where we need to be as a church. At the, at the moment. But the challenge for this year is to go through the lectionary and not to preach on the gospel because we did the gospel of Mark in its entirety uh, in 2020, just as the pandemic was kicking off. All those sermons are online if you want to hear all 16 of them. Um, and uh, so we're, we're on the B track and and uh, it was quite funny this week when someone said, you're preaching this week, David. And uh, I, I said, well, I am. And then I looked to see I was preaching on the book of Job. And I've never preached on the book of Job before. Well, I mean, I have because I did about an hour ago. But um, other than today, this is the first time I've preached on the book of Job. It just isn't something that we tend to focus on um, in this part of the world. And yet, when I went to Peru, about 20 years ago on a, on a mission, uh, kind of taste of mission trip for two weeks, I remember going to a church. Um, I don't know if the church was in Lima or in Iquitos, um, but it was in one of those two cities. Um, and it was all in Spanish. Um, and uh, I don't speak very much Spanish. Um, I, I, I know a few words. I can probably order myself a cup of coffee or something. Um, but uh, listening to the sermon, the preacher used the same two words uh, and they came back into my head just this week as I was out for a run and thinking about this. And the two words were perfecto and recto. Now, if any of you speak Spanish, you can translate perfecto and recto perfectly. But I think that what it says is the preacher was saying Job was perfect and he was upright. He was righteous. Um, and that's the word we see in the Bible. And, and actually, in that part of the world, in Peru, um, there, there is a sense life is, life is a lot tougher um, for people than it would be for us in our developed, uh, comfy society. And so, um, so you can see how people would, would draw on the resources of a book like Job uh, in order to give them strength and encouragement in life's difficulties, which they are so aware of. But I just remember those two words uh, that stuck in my head. Job, who was righteous, he was perfect. And so um, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to give you a brief synopsis of the book um, and, and of what happened in chapter 1, because although that isn't part of our reading, if you don't understand chapter 1, then chapter 2 makes less sense. And then I'll talk specifically about chapter um, 2. So, uh, Job, um, first thing that might be on your mind uh, just quickly is, well, is this um, historical truth? Did the book of Job actually happen exactly as it said? Um, my suspicion is it probably didn't. 
and that seems to be the balance of what the commentators say. This is an outstanding piece of, 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 of literary work as you read it. Um, it, is, it is wonderful to read, and I commend the whole book to you. I hope uh, out of today, my aim, because I always have an aim at the end of a sermon, my aim that you'll take away is to read the rest of the book. It's really good writing. Uh, it's really good ancient writing that helps us understand a lot about people and humanity. Um, but no, I don't think it happened exactly as it said. Now, some commentators will say, but, but Job existed. We can find Job referenced in many other books in the Bible. Um, actually, it wasn't a unique name. There was more than one Job uh, in the Old Testament um, is, is what the predominant thought is. A bit like when I went into a coffee shop this week and, uh, and I'd ordered myself a, um, a, a coffee for David. And uh, I got there and of course they said, which David are you? Because I have several orders for David here. Uh, it turns out David in Maple Ridge also is a fairly common name. So uh, I've now changed my Starbucks name to Mr. Edgerton. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward now to going in and seeing. And uh, um, it's really easy to pronounce Edgerton if you know how to pronounce it, but um, we'll see. So I'll let you know next week. Anyhow, um, just a bit of explanation. I hope that's helpful as we understand the book. So why is it in the Bible? It's here because uh, it gives us an understanding of God. It gives us an understanding of, of how um, to be faithful to God as Job was faithful even in the difficult times. So in the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. The man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. That's all we heard. Um, it carries on in chapter 1 to say he had seven sons and three daughters, which is the perfect number. What do I mean by that? Seven being uh, completeness. Seven is the number for completeness and three being the number for God. So we see, as I say, a literary masterpiece here. We see in the writing, uh, it's seven and three. And then you can see, too, this is carried on by how many sheep he had. He had 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels. Can you imagine that? Uh, that would certainly fill our parking lot here and probably the field across the street. He was rich. But not just that, he also had 500 yoke of oxen and 500 donkeys and a large number of servants. We don't know how many servants, but I'm guessing with all that livestock, he's going to have quite a few. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes. They are a rich family. He's got seven sons. They've all got their own home, and they'd have feasts. Any of you who are in a big family, uh, maybe you remember times when you did that uh, two years ago, and you could gather and get all your family together in your home and, and that kind of thing. And it was on their birthdays. And uh, so if, if you happen to have nine siblings, can you imagine having to go to each of their houses for their birthdays and finding them different gifts? And so this was a rich family and, a, and, a, and you know, incredibly wealthy, um, because it wasn't just Job that was wealthy, it, he had enough wealth to share it with the entire family. Just setting the scene. Um, and he was so righteous, it said in, um, in chapter 1, verse 5, he would make arrangements for purification. He was afraid that some of his kids may not have been as righteous as him, so he would go and make sacrifices to make sure they were okay. A bit like some parents will pray for their children and ask for forgiveness on their behalf. I won't ask you to put your hand up if you've ever done that. Um, and, uh, but uh, that was how kind of righteous, how, how holy uh, Job was. 
he, he would, he would um, look after his family's faith and not just his own. But he had everything, didn't he? He had uh, livestock and property and money and all this stuff. And so then what happens um, in the next bit, the second bit of chapter one, is there's this conversation in heaven uh, that goes on. And it's a conversation between the angels and the Lord. And Satan uh, came to them in the story and says, um, says, I've been roaming around and I've seen Job. And, you know, can I, can I try and test his faith? And the Lord says, all right, you can test his faith, but you can't harm him. So Satan, being uh, pretty evil, um, decides, okay, I'll do that. So he, he proceeds in the rest of chapter one to harm everything. All the stuff I just mentioned, all the animals, gone. The homes, destroyed. The children, the families, gone. Natural disasters that Satan sends to destroy all of it. All that's left as we pick up chapter 2 is Job and his wife. We meet her a bit later on. And so we're back in heaven, another meeting of angels and the Lord God. Satan has come again. And verse 2, the Lord says to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered, from roaming around the earth, going back and forth on it. And the Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him, for he is blameless. He is upright. A man who fears God and shuns evil and still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. So God is... is effectively kind of in this almost a wager with Satan saying, you know, you will not catch this guy. He is so righteous. He is so sure in his faith. And I know that even if you attack him, he's going to be fine. And Satan took away everything he had and Job is still righteous. He's still able to pray to God and to, to live out his faith in the midst of this. And so Satan thinks, okay, I have one more trick up my sleeve. Skin for skin, he says. Because, okay, when, when, it, when push comes to shove, if you actually try and physically hurt somebody, then, then they will cave. You watch. So God says, okay, you can strike him, but you must spare his life. So Satan now has this permission in the story to go and do anything he wants to Job, but he must preserve his life. So he goes out and he afflicts him in, chapter, in verse 7 with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Painful sores, um, some kind of leprosy or skin condition, we don't know exactly what. And this is just the first of many. As you read through the book of Job, he's afflicted with all kinds of physical things, probably some psychosomatic things because of what's going on as well and the trauma that he's experiencing. And still in the midst of that, he is faithful. And so we see he takes a piece of broken pottery and scrapes himself with it as he sits among the ashes in verse 8. Well, hang on a minute. What are the ashes? Is he sitting out having a campfire? Um, Rather like what we do today um, with the garbage that we um, create as a society, uh, what they did then was they just threw it in a pile 
uh, outside the city, and they probably set fire to it and burnt it. Uh, so, so that's where he is. He's in the rubbish dump, the garbage dump, on the outskirts of the city. He's sitting there, and he finds a piece of broken pottery, and he starts scratching himself with it. What kind of scratching is this? Well, it's the kind of scratching, if you've ever been bitten by a mosquito or some kind of biting thing, and you, you feel it, and you start itching, and then you itch even more, and you itch even more, and you itch even more. It's that kind of scratching. Um, this is not a self-harming kind of scratching. He's not trying to hurt himself. He just finds he's pretty fed up. He's sitting in the ash, in the rubbish dump, in the garbage dump, on the outsides of the city, and he's scratching himself. And now we meet his wife. And in this story, she's not very helpful at all. Are you still maintaining your integrity, she says. Curse God and die. I don't think that was a wise thing for her to say. But that's what she said. So he replies, you are talking like a foolish woman. Now this sounds like it might be an insult. It is not meant to be an insult, but merely an observation on Job's part, because the word foolish is to describe someone who is so far away from God, they would say something as stupid as, now is the time to curse God and die. So I hope that kind of explains that. It's not an excuse to insult your wife and say you are talking like a foolish woman, it's in Job, I'm allowed to say it, okay? Don't do that. Um, this is... Uh, this is a comment on her lack of faith. He says, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. We see in chapter one and we see again in chapter two, everything's taken away. He's physically in pain. I mean, can you imagine sitting in, a, just imagine being in a garbage dump. I mean, the smell, the stench of it um, is, is, is overpowering. And he's sitting there, he's scratching himself, he's pretty fed up, and then along comes his wife and says, just curse God and die. And we see all the way through the book of Job, he has conversations with, um, with three friends, uh, you'll have to read this later and find out what goes on. But he has conversations with three friends, and all of them are just as unhelpful as she is. It's not just her. They're all completely unhelpful. Have you ever been in a, in a bad situation, and someone has said something to you that is insensitive or just completely stupid? Um, and I imagine, because I know I've done it, I've often been the person to say things that are insensitive and completely stupid because we're all uh, broken people and sometimes we don't know what to say. No one teaches us the, the right words necessarily. So it's not just her or us, all of us do this. We end up saying the wrong thing sometimes because we have an intention to try and be helpful. I can see for her, she's watching her husband who's gone through all of this stuff and saying, how can you possibly have faith? What is there left to live for? And he says, no, we have to accept what we have. If there was a catchphrase in the book of Job, I'll get you to say this with me, uh, it could be worse. Can you say that? It could be worse. It could be worse. There you go. Um, it could be worse. And that's what we see all through the book. It could be worse. And he has it worse 
than anyone in the story. I think that's why, going back to Peru, um, that's why they find so much comfort uh, in the church I was at there um, visiting. Uh, they find so much comfort in, in this book because sometimes it feels like life is tough and yet we see in Job it could be worse. And in the midst of where we are, we're called to a faithfulness. We're called to stay true to our faith and to follow God in the good times and in the hard times. And those of us who are walking alongside people, when they experience this, nowadays we'd label this, wouldn't we? We're really good with labels these days, so we'd probably call this trauma. We'd probably call it significant trauma. We would assign Job and his wife to counselors and have them, uh, and therapists, and have them explore the trauma, and, and so on. Uh, and so as, as we walk alongside people, which we all do, who are experiencing all kinds of trauma uh, and of effects on their life. Um, the answer is not for us to say to them, hey, you should be more like Job. He was righteous. If you were more like Job, you'd be fine. The answer is to sit alongside in the ash, maybe to see if you can just take that piece of pottery away from them when they're scratching themselves, and to sit and to listen, and to be. To not be like, when you read the rest of Job, the friends. The friends who really were not supportive. But to be the friends and the family who sit and listen. And who trust that in the big scheme of things, in the meta-narrative, that God is in control. That as we're taught in the New Testament, all things work together for those who love God not necessarily feeling like it in the moment, but in the big picture of things. As we see through the story of Job, we're reminded time and again that it could be worse. And yet wherever we are, in the midst of whatever we're going through, God sends us his Holy Spirit to live within us sends us Christ to walk alongside us as an example so that we might be uh, faithful. We might be righteous, right with God. We might have integrity as Job did. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the example of Job. Uh, we thank you for... Um, the Bible and its rich diversity of narratives and stories and history and teachings of poems and psalms. We thank you that it's there for us to understand uh, the history of your relationship, the Father's relationship with his children. We pray for anyone who today is feeling like Job, is feeling like everything's been taken away for them, is experiencing any kind of trauma. We pray for your Holy Spirit to come and rest upon them now, whether they're watching at home or here, or whether it's someone we know. Give us grace to not be like the friends of Job, but instead to sit in the ash, sit alongside our friends and family, and be with them. 
in the ups and downs of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.